I want you to turn with me to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, excuse me, Proverbs 19. Today we're going to talk about grudges, grudges. We're talking about foolproof in our lives. Uh, just uh, while you're turning there, just real quick, a couple of announcements. If you ordered tamales from our Spanish ministry, they'll be in the Spanish ministry class uh, right after service. And then also don't forget men's breakfast on Saturday. So uh, uh, let's get right into it this morning. We've been talking about how to foolproof our lives. And remember, the, the, the great song says, everybody plays a fool sometime. Ain't no exception to the rule. <laughs> and, and so we all play the fool sometimes. Now we're just talking about how to, how to foolproof our lives so that we can walk in the wisdom of God. And remember, this is a very, these have been very practical messages. This is not some theoretical concept that's out there. The Word of God is applicable to every aspect of our lives. It's practical for everyday living. And so we've been unpacking uh, several areas that all of us are prone to foolishness uh, over the last few weeks. Today we're going to talk about grudges. So Proverbs chapter 19, one verse of Scripture, verse number 11, it reads like this. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Let's read that again. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Uh, again, like I said, these, these messages are very practical messages that help us. How many notice we live in an uptight world? We, we live in a world that is wound really, really tight. And it's really nice to know that God's word applies to not just, as I said last week, it's not just my Sunday life, it applies to all life. And, uh, you know, bad behavior, and I want to say this, bad behavior from someone else does not give us a license to act in a manner that reflects poorly on Christ. I, I, I want to say that again because there are people, there are bad actors in our world today, there are even bad actors within the body of Christ, but bad behavior from someone else does not give me a license to respond in a way that reflects poorly on Christ. Um, you know, again, we have to understand there's a sinful nature. How many remember that you still have a sinful nature? We, we still have a sinful nature, and the Bible says that, that that nature wars against the Spirit. So as long as we continue to live in this imperfect world, and as long as we are in our journey of faith, there always will be a, a conflict or a struggle between the old man that we used to be and the new man that we became when Christ became Lord of our life. There's a conflict. Paul even picked it up when he said, you know, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing anyway. Remember what he called himself? He said, oh, wretched man that I am. He acknowledged the struggle that you and I have in trying to live. Uh, again, my standard of living is not some other believer. You know, it's not curly, it's not, it's not, it's not that. It's, it, my standard of, of, of what my life should be like, the model is Christ, not anybody else. And that's a tough assignment. Um, you know, in this fallen world, there will always be a struggle to live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Here's the thing I like about it. The beauty is you and I get to choose. You know, we get to choose what path we want to be on. Uh, I can either give in to the temptation and live according to the flesh and fulfill its lusts, or I can yield and live in the spirit. It's my choice. 
But that conflict is real, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many years you have under your belt as a, as a, a Bible believer. There will always be a struggle in that, with that natural man and the spirit man. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's an easy choice, by the way. You know, I, I wish it were. It's not an easy choice. The call of Christ is not the call to easy street. You know what they say? You just don't get there from here. It's not a call to easy street. I mean, most of us, uh, to be honest with you, most of us would rather knock the block off of someone than to forgive them. Amen. Come on, am I telling the truth? Amen. We would rather knock somebody's block off that has offended us or hurt us than forgive them and release them. But Jesus calls each of us, a believer, to a higher standard of living uh, as one who has benefited from his amazing grace. Now, does that make sense? You and I have received from him amazing grace. Grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor. There's nothing you can do that earns it. We receive his grace. We accept his forgiveness. Now, as one who's been a recipient of that, we extend grace to other people. That's how we're to live in this crazy, tight-wound world that we live in. So this morning, as I said, I'm going to talk about how to foolproof our lives dealing with grudges. So let me ask you this. Do you right now, don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask the question. Do you hold feelings of ill will or resentment towards someone? Do you find yourself constantly uh, reliving a wrong that somebody did to you? And that, that's, the, that's the, the part of the nat natural man that we are. We replay those things over and over and over. We can, like, the, like the, do the sketch here this morning, we can talk about the day, the month, the hour. We know when somebody hurt us. And so do you relive that over and over again? And if you say yes, then you might be nursing a grudge. You might be. If you hold on to resentment, if you relive wrongs that have been done to you, you just might be nursing a grudge. Now, so what is a grudge? A grudge is a feeling of ill will or resentment to someone else. Some of the synonyms would be things like bitterness, Enmity, hatred, malice, these would be words that would be similar to the idea of a grudge. A grudge is usually the result of someone doing uh, wrong to us or at least making us feel like we've been wrong. Anybody ever been done wrong before? Now, that you can raise your hand. And in fact, most people would probably raise both hands, both feet, uh, because we, if you've lived more than a day, you've been done wrong. Somebody has betrayed you, somebody has stabbed you in the back, somebody has run your name down. If you've lived longer than a day, it's happened to you. So, so again, uh, that's what a grudge is. A grudge is that feeling that you get when somebody has wronged you. Uh, so holding on to a grudge or unforgiveness is kind of like wounding yourself. What's the old saying? Uh, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. There's a lot of truth in that little analogy. There's a lot of reality to that. You know, I, I was once asked a question, it's been several years ago, but somebody asked me, they said, Pastor, what do you think is the greatest obstacle facing modern Christianity? We could have talked about apathy, we could have talked about people's lack of, of commitment to the body of Christ, and, and, and we, there would have been many things we could have talked about that are really problematic in today's world. I mean, we say, we, we say one thing with our lips, but our lifestyle dictates something different. That's a problem. But when they ask me that question, what do I think is the greatest obstacle facing modern Christianity, without hesitation, I said, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. The body of Christ is infected with the disease of unforgiveness, resulting in bitterness, 
and in grudges. And, 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 and so, the, again, I love, I love our text this morning. I love the way the paraphrase of the Message Bible renders this verse. It reads like this, smart people know how to hold their tongue. The grandeur is, their grandeur is to forgive and forget. Read that again. Smart people know when to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and to forget. So in the context of our series, this verse is telling us that a fool is someone who refuses to release an offense that has been committed against them. That, that's a fool. Now, remember, a fool is not someone who, whose elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. A fool is not someone who is a few fries short of a Happy Meal. That's not, the, the biblical sense of a fool is someone who flat out refuses to obey the word of the Lord. That's a fool, biblical fool. So in that context, a fool is someone who refuses to release the offender or forgive the offender for an offense that's been committed. Again, I understand because this goes against our sense of right and wrong, right? We, we have this, this something innate in us that says that wrongdoers have to pay. That if somebody does me wrong, it's only natural that they are judged and punished, right? That just, that's it. It goes against our sense of justice. It goes against of what we perceive as right and wrong. But again, I go back to the fact that you and I as believers have been called to a higher place of existence, a higher living. Again, not that we're better than anyone else, but the fact that we have been forgiven to whom, who much is given, much is required. What did the scripture say? Freely you have received, freely give. If I've been a recipient of his forgiveness, then I in turn must forgive those who commit offense against me. After all, Jesus was the one who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Go and do likewise. That's our call. But, I, you know, I've used this story for, for several times and, and this story that I'm going to share with you this morning reveals the perils of a grudge. I said it in the early service, and I'll share a little bit of my testimony this morning. I grew up at home with, where my mother was a, uh, a woman who was affected by a grudge. My grandfather, when I was a kid, my grandfather founded uh, what was Batesfield Assembly of God Church in Mobile, Alabama, right there on, on Airport Boulevard. I was born into that church. Uh, my grandfather founded, my grandfather passed away before I was born, but we attended that church. My parents were heavily involved in that church, obviously with it being my grandfather. But something happened when I was a young boy, somewhere between the ages of eight, maybe eight and ten. And it was something that happened that I, even to this day, I don't even know what it was, but I know this, I, I know because my mother at that moment changed from the woman that I knew her as a young boy. My mother became a very mean uh, and vindictive lady, and we left that church. And, and so what I'm telling you this morning is I watched what a grudge will do to a lady uh, I, I grew up where my mom held a grudge against someone in that church, and it tormented her most of my childhood. Most of my memories growing up as a boy were of a very mean and spiteful woman as a mother. My mom, I can remember, again, we went to church as a family, and I can remember my mom would be in a Sunday morning service, and she would dance down the aisle speaking in tongues, and by the time we got out to the car after church on Sunday morning, she was cussing us out. The, 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 it was... It was just an odd thing. One of the reasons I ran away from home when I was 17 as a junior in high school was because of my mom's anger. She had an anger problem. In fact, how many of you have ever, don't have to raise your hand, but, but a grudge goes something like this. Somebody offends you or you perceive that they offended you or done you wrong. You automatically, if you see that person in a, in a Walmart, you either leave the store 
or you walk on the other side. You walk to avoid. That, that's what a grudge does. My mom would, would, you could even mention a particular name, and it's like the old cartoon where you see that thermometer, you know, it starts out and it just goes up and just blows up. You would mention this particular woman's name or person's name or family name, whatever it was, and my mom would just go into a rage. Anger, anger. Now, I say that because I grew up watching the byproduct of what a grudge does. Now, in, the, the testimony is, before my mother passed away, a few years before she passed away in 1995, my mother was set free by the power of Jesus Christ from that grudge. My mother, amen, that's a good place to do that. My mom went to her grave healed and whole and free of that. But I grew up remembering what it was like. And I'm telling you this morning, a... That would be a very accurate assessment to say that one of the greatest obstacles in modern times uh, dealing with the church today is that we have so much unforgiveness in the body of Christ. Jesus set her free and she was able to live the rest of her life a few years in freedom from that bondage. Holding grudges is a dangerous thing. Even secular institutions recognize how dangerous it is for you to hang on to a grudge or some hurt. In fact, the Mayo Clinic says this. They say that holding on to a grudge, it can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety. It can cause blood pressure issues and weight loss issues. I'm not talking about weight, losing weight. I'm talking about gaining weight and not being able to get it off. It's one of those things that just affects people in a tremendous way. And I've used this story before, but I don't think there's any better story in the Bible that will illustrate what bitterness will do to a person uh, than, a guy, than a story of a guy named Ahithophel. Ahithophel, I talked about him a lot. Uh, Ahithophel, you read him in his story in 2 Samuel. He was the trusted advisor to King David. Now, we all know David, but, you know, as a king, he had his trusted men. He had his counselors. He had his wise men. Ahithophel was one of those men. In fact, the Bible says that when Ahithophel spoke, it was like God himself speaking. Now, how would you like to have that for a reference? (laughs) The Bible itself says that when Ahithophel spoke, it was just as if God were speaking. And yet, we find in 2 Samuel 15 that Ahithophel joins the rebellion against David led by his son Absalom. Now, I know loyalty today doesn't mean a lot. People aren't loyal to just about anything, but, but in the past, loyalty was a big deal. If you committed to someone, it was a commitment that lasted. If, again, I, I've shared with you before, my dad, my dad was a firefighter and a roofer. My dad, if he made a bid on a job, he would shake a man's hand. That's exactly what it was. There was no triplicate forms. There was no uh, notarizing. My dad just, and they didn't even spit on their hands. They just shook a hand, and that was the way it was. Amen. There was loyalty to the word, loyalty to the commitment. We don't have that now, but it, it, it was a big thing in the past. So, so in my mind, again, Ahithophel has been a trusted advisor for, da- for David for a long time. Why in the world would a man like that all of a sudden turn and become an adversary, and help out his son in a, in a rebellion. I mean, how could someone who had walked in the counsel of David, spoke as if God were speaking himself, all of a sudden turn his back on David and side with the rebellion? I mean, what would make someone so mad that they would totally abandon their friend? I used to have a saying that there's nothing meaner than a mad churchgoer. 
and, and, we, and, and we laugh because we know it's true. We know it's true. Why, what would make him so mad that he would abandon his friend that he has served as a trusted advisor for all of these years? Well, then you've got to go unpack it a little bit. One of, one of David's mighty men, 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of David's mighty men was a guy by the name of, uh, of, uh, of e, uh, I can't ever say his name, Eliam. Eli, Eli, I'll put it like that. If it's wrong, it's wrong, but anyway, Eliam, who was the son of Ahithophel, Okay. So, so one of David's mighty men, so his trusted advisor was Ahithophel. He has a son, Eliam, who was uh, his son. He's now one of David's mighty men. Here's what the scripture said in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. I mean, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 2. David got up from his bed. So here's where we're at. So David got up from his bed, walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a young woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said... Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So you see the connection there. Bathsheba is Ahithophel's granddaughter. So what happened to Bathsheba? Again, she was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. She was taken by David, and her husband was killed by David. So the root of the grudge was that David, King David, took his granddaughter and killed her husband and he brought him or brought her in to be his wife that was the root now I would just say this would there be anyone here that would not behave likewise again be careful you can say a lot of stuff about me I'm okay I'm thick-skinned hard-headed all that kind of stuff leave my family alone I, I believe in prison ministry, and I don't mind starting one from the inside out. <laughs> so, so I can relate to Paul Paul, Ahithophel. David wronged her. David wronged her. David wronged her family. And Ahithophel got angry. A seed of bitterness was planted and, and, and in, in that man, that grandfather. You know, it seems obvious from reading the story that Bathsheba, the rest of the story, that Bathsheba had forgiven David, and, and, and maybe even Eliam, her, her father, did. But you know what? Grandpa, Paul Paul, never did. Paul Paul never let it go. He never forgave David his sin. He carried that grudge for years and years and years, and it festered in him until it exploded in an opportunity to get revenge. That's what happened. Ahithophel used that opportunity of the rebellion to, to, uh, to, to have hopes of settling a grudge against King David. Now, let me just say this. It, the story doesn't end well. And the reason that I'm say, preaching this message this morning, in fact, somebody in the early service said, I've been in church a long time and I've never heard a message about grudges. Well, it's part of the Word of God because there are people, even Jesus himself said, look, if you come down to offer a gift and there you remember there are issues with somebody, remember what he said? He said, stop what you're doing. Don't even finish your order of worship. Stop, make it right, and then come back. Because if you keep on, I'm going to put my fingers in my ears, la, 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 and I'm not going to listen to you. Grudges produce nothing positive. It doesn't end well. Ahithophel is advising Absalom, and you can read the story. He's advising Absalom now to go against his father David. He's looking for an opportunity to get back at, at King David. And there's this particular story where Ahithophel gives some advice about how to, 
to really drive the nail in the coffin of King David and his, and his reign. And the Bible says there was another man that was planted to counter the advice of Ahithophel. Remember, he was a wise man. He spoke like God. So there was one sent undercover, if you will, to talk against him. And here's what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 17. It says, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order, then hanged himself. Why? Because he knew that because his advice was not followed, David would be able to rally his troops, and in the end, he would win the battle. By the way, the name of Hithophel in Hebrew means stupidity. It means irreverence and disrespect. Here's a man, again, he was wronged. Not one person here would, 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 would admit, would say that it was okay what David did. It wasn't okay. Even God judged him for what had happened. It wasn't okay. But Ahithophel took that to, to the far extreme and he had a root of bitterness that was planted in his spirit and he longed for the day. He sat there and he plotted and he, he, he schemed and strategized looking for an opportunity to take his revenge. How many of us do the same thing? Somebody says something against us. They run our name down. They, they stab us in the back. They betray us. And, and then we sit there and play that over and over in our minds and we plot and we scheme and we try to figure out how we can get back at them. Let me tell you, it doesn't end well. Holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness and grudges, it doesn't end well. It didn't end well for him and it won't end well. You will not be an exception, I promise. See, that's what a, a grudge will do. Holding a grudge or nursing unforgiveness, it, it doesn't injure the other person. It destroys you. Again, as if you've ever been in that environment, again, I grew up, most of my, again, my memories as a child growing up are not positive memories because I saw what anger and unforgiveness and resentment will do. I was also blessed to see the end product of the grace and the mercy of God too. I'm saying it'll do nothing. If we're not able to experience forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others, it is like a cancer that just slowly eats away at our personhood. It just eats away. It affects those around you. It affects your relationships with your immediate family if it's not one of your, you know, again, sometimes a husband and wife can, can build. You, know, you look at this wall over here, and that wall is made by bricks laid on course. And they're one brick at a time. You finish the course. You start the next one, and you lay brick, and you lay brick. See, what happens is if we're not careful, an offense can be a brick, particularly in husband-wife relationships. It can be a brick and a brick and a brick. And we keep building bricks because we're, we're dealing with offenses, but we repress them and we suppress them. We don't talk about them. We don't experience healing or forgiveness. And we keep building. And one day we've got a wall and we wonder why we feel estranged. That's what it does. That's what it does. It, it sabotages every part of our life. Again, I would say one of the reasons that the Western church is so powerless it's because many people have allowed bitterness or over a wrong that was done to them or, or even a perceived wrong to lock them in a prison of anger and resentment. Again, the reason we're not seeing life-changing miracles and the deliverance that the Word of God promises is because unforgiveness is the ruling emotion of the day. It's a hard thing. Paul asked the Galatians, he asked them the question, who hindered you? Who hindered you that you would not obey the truth? What I would say this morning, I, I, I'll, I'll say this again. I said in early service, this is not a message you want to amen a lot. Not a message you want to amen a lot. 
In fact, if you'd known I'd preach on it, you might have wore steel-toed boots. It's tough because the temptation is so strong. Again, our human nature, appealing to our human nature, is if somebody wrongs us, we want to get even with them. We try to figure out how we can make them hurt the way they made us hurt, but the call of Christ is to be different than that. The reason we're not seeing the life-changing miracle power of God, the deliverance, the miracles that we, that we want is because we've, we've been hindered by this emotion. Let me pose the question to you this morning. Who or what hindered you from going to the next level in your walk, for, uh, walk with Christ? What is it that's holding you back? Why do you keep going around the same mountain over and over and over again? What's holding you back? What's hindering you from growing? When things happen, listen, we can either become bitter or we can become better. It's our choice. Again, life has a way of dealing us a bad hand from time to time. To time. The Bible warns us over and over again, you know what, you're going to have unfair treatment. There's going to be gossip and slander and all kinds of other things that will be done to you. But the reality is the command is still to maintain our integrity and to hang on to our witness for Christ. That's a hard thing to do. There is nothing more counterproductive in our lives than bitterness and resentment. It will sabotage you. Think, of all, uh, think about today where we live in our society. Think about all the people who go through their life blaming their parents, blaming their teachers, blaming their pastors, blaming society, blaming this, blaming that, always deflecting on others and blaming them for their miserable lives. Bitterness, listen to me, bitterness never mended a broken heart. Bitterness never never conquered a nation, never built a great church. Bitterness has never brought home a wayward son or daughter. It has never brought back yesterday, nor has it strengthened our relationships for tomorrow. There's not one thing positive about bitterness and grudges. Not one thing. Everything about it is counterproductive, and yet millions and millions of people sit in Bible-believing teaching churches who are holding on and nursing grudges because they feel they have a right to be angry. And that's what we do. We, we reason, well, pastor, you just don't understand. You don't know how I've been hurt. You just don't understand the pain is too great. Somehow, someway, they're going to pay. Isn't that the sentiment of most people today? Somebody's got to pay. You hurt me, you wrong me, and this, my justice demands that you hurt too. That's the fallen nature of man. Listen, I'm not diminishing your pain. I've, hey, I've been hurt too. Again, if you have a pulse and you breathe and you live more than a day, you, you've been hurt. I've been hurt by people who told me they would be in a foxhole with me. If I went back 30, listen, if I could go back 30 years and, 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 and take everyone who's told me they, would, they had my back, that they would always be there, they would serve alongside of me and walk with me through, this church would not hold the people. Would not hold the people. I've been hurt. My character's been aligned, maligned. I've been gossiped about me and my family. That's just it. The pain is real. But you know what? Here's the thing. God will judge me for how I Amen. respond to what they do. That, that's the reality. That was the light bulb moment for me is I can get angry. I can get upset. I can be mad all day long. But God's going to judge me for my response to the venom that they spew out of their mouth. That, that's a sobering thought to think about. Does it hurt? Absolutely. But holding on to a grudge doesn't have a pleasant reward or end. 
As much as I don't want to be the subject of gossip and slander, I don't want a root of bitterness planted in my spirit that has the potential to derail my life. I don't want it. I don't want it. You say, well, it's not that easy. Well, you're right. It's not. It's not. There, there, many years ago, there was, there was something done that, that truly wounded me from, from someone who said, I will be with you to the end. Obviously, it didn't happen. Ugly stuff said, it grieved my spirit. It wounded me really deeply. I was one of those guys, like I said, that would see the, see the people and, and would walk the other way, walk out of the store, walk the long way around, not wanting to have, you know what, it took me two years. I'm not telling you it's easy to dismiss the wound because they're real, they're legitimate, they hurt. I'm telling you that with Christ, you can do it. And it's better for you to do it than to hang on to it. It took me two years to get that pain out of my system. To, to, to get rid of the hurt. Oh, I still remember it. But it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore. See, the truth is, some people are going to hurt you. We will get put down, run down, trampled on. Our base nature wants revenge. Uh, the temptation is there to get bitter. It's always there. It's always an ever-present uh, situation. It's a disease. Holding grudges is a disease. If we're not careful, that disease of bitterness will creep into our hearts and it will ruin our lives. So how do we release that? I've got a few more minutes. How do we release that? Okay, I've told you the problem, so how do we release it? Again, I want to foolproof my life. Well, here's how we do it. Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 14 through 21. Here's what he writes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do I deal with the wounds? How do I deal with people? Listen, it's not going to stop today. If, if you live tomorrow, there'll be somebody, there'll be an opportunity for somebody to offend you. You might not even get out of the building today for somebody might right? I mean, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. I would just say, thicken up. <laughs> but, but, but that's the reality. So, so the remedy for grudges and unforgiveness, here they are. Number one, bless those who hurt you. Wow. Tough? You better believe it. But to release the offender, we need to learn the joy of blessing others. How do we do that? Never stop praying for them. Again, if I'm, if I'm going to bless those who hurt me, then I'm required to pray for them. Never stop praying for those who have hurt us. Jesus said we're to pray for our enemies. Why? Because it's hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. It really is. Now, you might start out praying for them like the roof to fall on them or something like that. No, don't, don't pray that prayer. <laughs> That's not a godly prayer. I'm sorry. You might start out praying and struggling with that prayer, you know, it kind of reminds me, anybody remember the old, the old uh, Happy Days 
And there was one word that the Fonz could not say. Anybody know what it was? He couldn't say wrong. Couldn't say he was wrong. I'm saying that you might not be able to say that person's name. You might not be able, again, when you start praying, you may not say, I want you to bless them and prosper them and whatever. You may not be able to pray that because you still want them to fall flat on their face. Again, it's a, whole, it's, it's a whole lot easier for us to want to knock somebody's block off than it is to pray for them. But if you want to release that grudge, you bless them. You pray for them all the time. It, what, what happens when we pray for people? It changes us. It changes us. It frees us from the bondage of our anger, and it frees us to serve God in a way that really honors Him. All those people that down through the years that I can recall that betrayed me and hurt me and wounded my family, you know what? I still pray for them. I still pray for them. I don't want that. So never stop praying for them. Number two, never stop forgiving them. Never stop forgiving them. This is hard. But again, Christians have been called to do something higher that's impossible. I can't do this on my own, but through Christ, I can do all things. See, this is when I lean into Him the most. We're called to live at that level so the rest of the world can see. See, forgiveness is hard to do because what forgiveness means is I absorb the pain of your wrongdoing and I release you of it. That's why it's so hard. If somebody wronged me, then I release them of the pain they caused me so that they can be free. I still have to deal with it. But that's what unforgiveness is. I mean, that's what forgiveness does. See, Jesus, they grab him, the, the son of God, the innocent one, lived a perfect life. They grab him, they pluck his beard out, they beat him to a pulp. They whip him with a cat of nine tails, strip off the flesh of his body. His ribs are glow, glistening in the, in, in the light. Crown, drive that crown of thorns in his head, drive nails into his hand and his feet, and he's hanging there, and they mock him and ridicule him, and yet he says, Father, forgive them. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of mental and emotional work that goes into forgiving people. And if you've ever tried to forgive somebody, you understand it's a very real, it's a very real battle. There's a serious price to pay to make that choice to forgive, but there's no other choice. To forgive means to say, it basically means to, you're saying, what you have done to me has truly and deeply hurt me, but I choose to release you of the penalty. And after all, isn't that grace? I refuse to make you pay. The problem of that, that's the problem of forgiveness, and that's why many people don't want to do it. Because it says, you know what? I'll take the penalty myself. Another thing he says, Paul says in our, in our reading there, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Verse 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now hear me. Not everybody will be amenable to forgiveness. What that means is not everybody's going to welcome reconciliation. If, you, if, if there's issues and you go to make, make it right, if you've wronged somebody and you go and say, hey, Curly, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I ask you to forgive me, man. I'm sorry for what I did, what I said, whatever. That's my obligation in Christ. That's my obligation. His is to forgive me as well. Now, what happens if he doesn't do it? Well, that's on him, not me. It's, it, so, if Curly has done me wrong, 
then in Christ, under Christ, my responsibility is to release him of that, of that hurt. He may never come to me and ask me to forgive him. He may never ask there to be a reconciliation. He may just go on his merry way and not even give a rip about what he did, he's done to me. That's okay. Because my call is to let him off anyway. See, my extending forgiveness has more to do with me than it actually does to him. So, so what I'm saying is be a peacemaker. As much as I can, I try to be a peacemaker and live at peace with all people. But it's not always possible because not, you can't, listen, you can't control what other people do. You, you, you can't. I, uh, we can't control. Uh, here's what he said, as much as it depends on you. He knew that some people, uh, there's some people problems that will never be resolved. It takes two to quarrel. It takes two to reconcile. If you do their part, if you do your part and the problem remains, that's still the plan to follow. Let it go. Number four, never seek revenge. Verse 19, Paul said, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's the way I'd say that. Payday always comes. There's a scripture that says, be sure your sins will what? will find you out. How many has ever lived that to be true? <laughs> you, can't, you can't hide. You reap what you sow. If you sow discord, you reap discord. If you sow anger and hatred and resentment, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And it won't be a pleasant experience. We, we seek revenge. Listen, when we seek revenge, we lower ourselves to the standard of the person that irritated us. Rather than walking in the counsel of the Almighty and living like Christ. By the way, Christian means like Christ. So, so if I'm walking like Christ, then I have to be free with my forgiveness for those who offend me. Again, I, I'm not minimizing the wrong that's been done. Please understand that. I'm not. Because there are a lot of wrongs that have been done in our world today. And it's still being done. Tension today is at an all-time high. I believe that. But you know what? It doesn't give us a license to not live according to the Word. Let them go. Let them go. It makes us vulnerable when we hold a grudge because it violates the principles of faith and love. Revenge appeals to the lower nature. Guys, come on back as I wrap this up. Revenge appeals to the base nature of our old man. Remember, Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. That's what revenge does. That's what grudges do. Ahithophel, his story, you can read it. It's a fascinating story. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that a man that had so much loyalty could turn his back in such a moment. But, but then again, I do understand. Because his pain, again, you, you harm my family. And I, you, you, don't poke the bear, I'm telling you, don't. So I understand. But the call, some of the most emotional things for me, is watching people that have been victimized by crime look at their, their offender and say, I forgive you. I've seen moms in a courtroom setting look at a murderer of their son or daughter and say, I forgive you. And I honestly sit there and I think, how in the world can you do that? How can you release somebody from a heinous crime like that?
It can only happen when we're walking in that covenant with the Lord. See, if I'm going to foolproof my life, I've got to insulate it from the, from the, from the what does the Bible call the, the fiery darts of the wicked one who's constantly looking for openings. You know, if you ever watch some of the medieval, uh, you know, ancient war movies, things like that, you know, the, you have the archers and, they have their, and they're always looking for a gap. If an archer's going to strike his target, you know, a lot of the shields were large and they covered their bodies, but they, they always had places of vulnerability and an archer would try to find that. See, that's what the enemy does. He's looking for a gap. He's looking for an opportunity. That's why the Bible says we're not unaware of his devices, his schemes. He's a thief. He's like a roaring lion. He's a liar, an accuser of the brethren. He's always pitting. And isn't he good at that? Isn't he good at taking something that might, might have been a very minor offense and then turning it around and blowing it up into a major ordeal? This is not part of the sermon, but I would just suggest if, if, if you start thinking things, go talk to that one. Go, go sit down and have it out. I mean, in a good way, right? Remember, live at peace. <laughs> live at peace. But you know what I find? I find a lot. Of, I, listen, I've sat in this church for 30, I've been in this church for 30 years. I've seen people that have been so cantankerous with one another that, in, in relationships that one would sit down here and one would sit up there. When the service was over, they'd go out that door. They would go down the back stairs and go out that door so they wouldn't have to meet in the middle. I've seen that. And it, break, and it, it always broke my heart. And I always had this, always had this vision. My brain is, works overtime a lot. Of, I always had this vision that one day the power of God would move so, so mightily that this person would get up and that person would get up and they would run. You know, I I'm, I'm watch too many movies. And they run down across the altar and they embrace in a big hug. I always dreamed, it never happened, but that's what I dreamed of because that's the call of Christ. You'll never, you'll never advance if you're nursing a grudge. To enjoy the abundant life that Jesus Christ purchased for us, let it go. Let it go. I'm not minimizing your hurt. I'm not minimizing the wrong. I'm just saying refuse to be locked in that prison anymore. They may never come and ask you to forgive them. They may never, they may never try to make amends. That, that's okay. That's on them. You follow the pattern and teaching of Christ and let it go and let healing come. It'll happen. It'll happen. And when it, is, when it comes, it's joyous. Those two years, what I did, I prayed every day for two years for that hurt to be taken out of me. And for two years, I struggled. You know, but when one day it was gone. You can talk about it. I can talk about it. I can see. It doesn't even phase me anymore because Christ set me free. Here in a moment, we're going to go to our prayer time as they prepare to sing. And here's what I've done. Down here on the altar are these little cards, these little index card things here. And if you're here today, and as I started preaching, talking about grudges, somebody popped into your mind. You started reliving that again. Then you're probably nursing a grudge. You, maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you've not thought much about it. But you're still nursing. You're nursing something that if you don't get rid of, it will affect the rest of your life. This is not to embarrass you at all. 
Again, if I was preaching this message back when I was going through those things, I would do the same thing because I experienced it, I understand. But as they sing this morning, I'm going to ask you to come down and take one of these papers. And you don't, have to, you don't have to do any details. You don't have to do anything. This is for you, not for anybody else. I want you to write that name down of that person, that situation, whatever it was. And then for a moment, I want you to stand there and bless them. Father, today I, 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 pray, for, I pray for Joe. Joe probably doesn't even know what he's done to me. Probably doesn't even know all the pain that I've gone through because of that. But I'm tired of living in that prison. So today, Father, I, I release Joe. I release that hurt that he's done to me. I release that and the anger and the unforgiveness. And I ask you to give me a clean heart. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit in me. I bless Joe. I bless his labor. I bless his employment. I bless his household. I bless his finances. I bless his health. Help me to walk in forgiveness. I release him now and then rip it up and leave it there. Now, that doesn't mean that it'll magically disappear overnight, but what I'm saying, that starts the process. Every day you pray for Joe or Susie or whomever, God, I release them and I bless them until it's gone because it never ends well. It doesn't do anything productive. It only destroys. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, these are hard messages to, to, to amen. There's not a whole lot to amen because they're tough. They're very pragmatic, very practical. But they're transformative. See, the, the intent of the message is not to make me feel bad. The intent of the message is to transform me and free me. See, the hard, the hard things of the gospel are liberating, not ensnaring. So as we sing this morning, again, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If, you, if, you, if, there, if the Spirit has brought someone or something to your mind, why don't you come and write it down and, and, and take that moment and just pray and then rip it up. We'll, you can leave it there. We'll, we'll, we'll throw it away later. If you're writing down a name, write the first name. Just write the first name. God already knows who they are. Just write the first name and then tear it up. Get, get it done. Get it out of your system. Walk out of here. See, this is, this, is a bonding, this is a bondage breaker message right here. There's too many people locked in that prison of unforgiveness and grudges. Let it go and let God rule with grace. As they sing, would you come this morning? Would you take your time and write that down and pray for them? Go ahead. I came to the world you created. Traded your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing. King of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more of you means less of me, take everything.
Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. We're here. If anybody needs them, have some more over here.
that's the key right there that talks about the exchange life God take what did John the Baptist say he must increase and I must decrease God says give me the frailness the inconsistencies give me that and I in turn will give you that's the exchange you cannot walk in forgiveness if you're not walking in that covenant with him it's impossible. I want to challenge you today as we walk out of here that you determine to walk in that forgiveness. Freely you have received. Freely give. And that applies to every level of relationship. Let it go. Let God heal you. Let God restore the joy of your salvation. I'm going to close in prayer we used to do this a long time ago, but I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable with it, everybody to extend your right hand. The Jewish custom was to extend the right hand for blessing. Father, today as we close out this service, Father, I bless this body of believers, those that are online this morning. I bless them with the fullness of who you are. Lord, I pray that as they walk out of here, many are facing things. Even right now, it's a current situation that tests them and try them. Lord, I bless them with your fullness. I bless them with the abiding presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may they recognize that the battle does not belong to them, that the battle belongs to you. Lord, and, and, and I pray that you would speak to them. Let them hear your voice in these matters, and may they learn to walk in your forgiveness. Lord, these things that we think are impossible are not impossible with you. So, Father, may we walk in that abundance and in your power. Give us the ability to release the offender and to bless them and to pray for them. And, Father, work the miracle of reconciliation in those areas that you can. Lord, I thank you today for your word that is so liberating and life-changing. May we walk in that truth and in that power. Go with us today, I pray. Give us a great day, a great night, a great week, should you tarry. May we walk daily in that forgiveness and release. And may we get all that out of our system so that we walk in the fullness of your joy. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. Look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much. Change me like only you can Here with my heart in your hands Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus This world dying to know who you are Show us the way to your heart Father, I pray, make me 
take everything. Yes, all of you is all. 